Okay. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. And to the mothers, happy, happy Mother's Day. Um, at the end of service, we're going to do something with the children to honor each and every one of you guys. Um, and then, of course, today we're going to be teaching a message um, related to motherhood. Today's message, I'm calling it Mom Goals. And uh, I, I, I know a lady who, who bought a nice Toyota Sienna minivan and then put that as her license plate. Mom Goals, because she had always wanted one of those. And um, I've noticed, how many of you guys have ever seen the hashtag Mom Goals? Have you ever seen that? Some of you guys? If, if you are not familiar with the hashtag world in social media, let me just explain to you for a minute. People put pictures of different things that they're doing, whether that's an awesome minivan, whether that's, you know, a certain um, adventure with their kids or a certain way that they organize their, their spice cabinet, whatever it is. And other people, as they go through and look at that, they'll put on their hashtag mom goals. Or people will put it up themselves as like, hey, mothers, check out this thing that I've accomplished that you might want to also accomplish. My wife loves back rubs. She seems to always get tense. And so I will sit by her and, and watch as she, you know, she, she'll sit there and scroll through while she's getting a back rub. And I thought, this morning, the picture I want to give is, is of a mom going through social media looking for inspiration. Because that's what the mom goals is supposed to be. This is supposed to be inspiration for something you might be interested in doing or accomplishing yourself. We're going to take out the Bible and treat it a little bit like a social media feed for a moment, okay? Not that it has everything in common, but I want to go through and I want to look for mothers and some of the characteristics that they had that are worthy of inspiring us. Does that make sense? Now, but here's the thing. When we go on Instagram, how many of you ever noticed everybody only puts the pretty pictures up? The Bible doesn't do that. As we look at some of these examples of, of biblical women, we're going to find everything from, from people who, who made mistakes, who struggled. Even if we look at the lineage of Christ, have you guys noticed? There is one of Jesus' great-grandmothers was a prostitute. Not in the end, but at the beginning of of her appearance in the Bible. We recognize the Bible doesn't candy coat it, doesn't only put it out, it doesn't put the filter on that says this is only the good. We've got to learn. We don't just learn from perfect people. How many of you realize that? Someone doesn't have to be perfect to learn from them. And also, you don't have to be perfect to be a good mother. You do not have to be a good, a perfect until you, you're not... You're not excluded from the badge of good mother until everything is in perfect order. Let's start with Jochebed. Jochebed was Moses' mother. Now, when we think about Moses, when I was a kid, I kind of thought of Jochebed as, well, she gave birth to Moses, but wasn't the princess Moses' mother like for all practical purposes? 
But let's read this story, because when I read it as an adult, I began to realize that I had missed quite a bit. Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. That's Jochebed. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why did she hide him for three months? Because at that point in time, the Pharaoh was afraid that a redeemer was going to come. That He also was afraid that, that there were too many Israelites that they were going to overcome. So he had made a law that said every male child was to be killed if they were Jews. Every Jewish male child was to be killed. So she had a baby. It was a boy. He was supposed to be immediately killed. She didn't. She hid him at risk of her own life for three months. How many of you realize that's quite a, 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 a feat of achievement in and of itself? Because babies do not want to be hidden. But for three months, she hid him. And when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Her sister stood at a distance, to his sister, excuse me, so Miriam, Moses' older sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were Walking along the riverbank, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then her, his sister, Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter. Now, when I was a kid, I listened to this story, and everything in the story was a coincidence. I, I, I just imagined that, first of all, I imagined that that she had just put him out there in the basket, walked away, and had not, wasn't going to think about anything again. And it just happened to float by where the princess was. And it just happened that the sister probably disobeyed mom and was spying. And it just happened. But you know, as I got older, I don't think that it was all just happenstance. I believe that she was planning for this. Why did she put him in the river in that place? Why was Miriam still there? We know she was a very... You've got to be an incredibly attentive mother in order to keep a child from being discovered for three months. We know she must... She probably knew where Miriam was. And then this is what Miriam said. She says... Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him, the baby, for you? So, of course, the princess finds baby Moses, decides, I want to keep him. But she didn't just have a baby. She's not nursing. Miriam says, could I go find someone who is nursing, someone who recently lost a baby? Yes, she said, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for you, for me. I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses by saying, I drew him out of the water. So Jacobed, she was a lot of things. She was creative. 
She was resourceful. She was nurturing. She was courageous. Just think a minute. Was that the way she wanted motherhood to be? Would she have planned it that way? Not really. But God did. God planned this. She didn't lose her place. Moses knew his siblings. He referred to them as his siblings. Interestingly enough, the princess is like a stepmom. She saw a child that she had no obligation to. None. But chose to step up. Some of you are step-parents. Some of you have step-parents. We can look and be inspired and recognize the, the, what, that it is admirable to see when someone will step up when they don't have responsibility. How many realize if it's your child and you don't take care of them, you can go to jail. We have a responsibility, a legal responsibility to our own children. But we don't have that to a stranger, to some other child. In fact, you grab somebody else's kid, take them home, you get in trouble, you go to jail. Step-parents are taking on a responsibility that they didn't have to take on. They are choosing to take that. Adoptive parents are choosing to take that on. And I congratulate every adoptive mother or every stepmother who has taken in a child that they didn't have to but had looked and chose and said, I will take on that responsibility. And notice that she didn't begrudge the help she needed or that the child needed from the real mother. She actually arranged for that to be done. It wasn't a competition between them. It was a partnership to raise him. She was creative. She was courageous. And she was self-sacrificing. And I'm going to put a pin in that one. And we're going to go to another scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. There we have it. They are not perfect people. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house. And I had a baby while she was there with me. And the third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. These are two mothers who were roommates. We were alone, and there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So one of the ladies accidentally crushed her child. So she got up in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while I slept. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it was not the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. So Solomon is there. He's got these two ladies who are both 
pointing at each other, claiming that the dead child isn't theirs. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought the sword before the king. He gave the order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. And the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other woman said, well, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. King Solomon was praised, the Bible goes on to say, because he recognized, he was, uh, because of his wisdom of putting through this test. And this test really brought forth one of the strongest, most impressive, and most universal characteristics of motherhood. Self-sacrifice. Every one of us can think of examples of things that our mothers did or didn't do for us. They were willing. That mother was like, no, even if I lose, as long as my child wins, I win. Mothers have a God-given superpower to care selflessly for their kids. My wife, I cannot count the number of times that she has declared herself absolutely exhausted. I'm going to bed early. I am just so tired. And then one of the kids comes, and the next thing, I, she's over there making a, a second dinner. Or, or doing something. When I think of my own mother, I, I think of... She, she would make herself the sandwich with the loaf of bread out of the heels. How many of you realize it wasn't because she loved the heels? I thought for a little while as a kid, it's because my mom likes the heels. She likes those. No, it's not because she likes them. It's because she knew we didn't. And so she would take that and, and, and eat it herself. When she would cook, she would take the burnt cookies and she would eat those. And so many of you mothers here, I don't, I don't need to be told the stories to know that every single one of you have given up not just sleep, but different goals, dreams, expectations of how you thought things were going to go, and you did it for your kids. And we admire you for it. Solomon's test of motherhood was self-sacrifice. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean that mothers are always second. It means that they're willing to sacrifice when needed. Now, listen, guys. Husbands. It is honorable how your wives or the mothers of your children want to give. But this is not something for you to take advantage of, but to support and to assist. Just because she's willing to eat the, the heel sandwich 
doesn't mean that you don't buy another loaf of bread. When we see that, we, and, and mothers, you don't always have to be second. A willingness to sacrifice when needed is not a necessity to sacrifice at every moment. Sometimes people get that feeling of, I, this is what I deserve. No, you deserve so much more. But God put it in you that when, when a sacrifice has to be made, mothers don't bat an eye. And we applaud that. Let's continue forward to 1 Samuel uh, 1, 12 through 19. This is the story of Hannah. Now, Hannah lived in a time when, a time of polygamy. So she was one of two wives. And the Bible actually describes the other as her rival. Because the other wife had children and she did not. But her husband, the Bible says, loved her dearly and, and, and cared for her dearly and brought her double portions. And I didn't want to read the entire section for time's sake, but she desired to have a child. And in verse 12, it says, as she kept praying to the Lord, she'd come to the temple. Eli, the, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you gonna going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Oh, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered and said, go in peace. And may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, she arose, worshipped before the Lord, then went back to her home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah. That's the father. And then the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. The story goes on, and he, he lived with her until he was of an age when he could go and begin to, to apprentice in the temple, and she had promised that she would give, dedicate her son to the Lord, and he became the, like, the, one of the greatest leaders Israel ever had, because his mother was dedicated. She was persistent. She was faithful. She kept her word. She made a promise. She followed through with it. And I, I want to say this. God sees our struggles. Notice she described herself. She said, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Many mothers have been in that place where that, that is, for that day, that's what they would describe themselves as. God sees you. He saw you in that moment. No matter what other people looked and saw, thought they saw, and they, they thought that you were drunk, or they thought that you were crazy, or they thought that you were, you, who cares? God saw you. He heard you. 
whether anybody else heard the words, he heard you. He's listening. And he wants to answer your prayers. To the mothers who, who I want to pray effectively, I want to encourage you, come to these prayer intensives that, that, that Emily is leading Wednesday, last Thursday, this Thursday, and, and a couple Thursdays going forward, a total of five, we're talking, or she is talking, about effective prayer. And you do not want to miss it. As Adrian shared with us a little bit ago, um, this Thursday we're having um, Jessica Jones, pastor from Trees Church. She'll be coming. God healed her of fourth uh, stage cancer, stage four. And she's going to be sharing with us. You won't want to miss it. First Kings chapter 1, verse 11. This is the story. Well, not the story. This is part of the story of Bathsheba. Now, when I say Bathsheba, what do you guys think of? What's that? I didn't hear the word. David. You think of David and Bathsheba. And when we say David and Bathsheba, well, we think of how their marriage started. How she was actually married to someone else, and David saw her and, and wanted her, and so he invited her to the castle. They had an affair. She got pregnant. Her, her husband was out at war. David was embarrassed. He called to have the husband brought home, thinking, well, if the husband visits, then, then he'll think he's the father. Well, the husband didn't do the husbandly thing because he felt bad that his, his soldiers weren't able to come home as well, and so then he didn't get, his trick didn't work, so then he told someone else in the army, I want you to put the, his, uh, Bathsheba's husband where he's going to be killed in battle, and he died as a direct result of David's command. So David killed him. That's the intro to Bathsheba. She wasn't perfect. However, many years later, when her son Solomon, who was born as a result of that mistake, had grown, and David was literally on his deathbed, he was so sick that people began to wonder what was happening. And one of his other sons started to declare himself king. That's where we're at. It says, then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And our Lord David does no knows nothing about it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say to him, my Lord King, do... You not swear, did you not swear to me, your servant? Surely your Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Then why is Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come and add my word to it and to what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending to him. Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself before the king. What is it you want? The king asked. She said to him, My lord, your you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord, your God, Solomon, your son, son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my Lord, do not know about it. 
he has sacrificed great numbers of cattle and fattened calves and sheep and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar and the priest and Joab and the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord after the king, the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord, the king, is laid to rest with his ancestors, in other words, as soon as he dies, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. So Bathsheba went before the king with, with extreme bravery, with extreme wisdom, and saved her son's life. Not only did she save his life, but she literally got him the kingdom. In verse 29, it says, Then the king took an oath, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of trouble, and I will surely carry this out this very day that I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in this place. She literally won the kingdom back for Solomon. We have multiple examples of, of mothers who, by, by their acts of shrewd behavior, of planning, of wisdom, they saved the lives of their kids. They acquired the blessing for their kids. They, but she started out rough. Just because you start rough doesn't mean you can't finish strong. Bathsheba literally gave her son the kingdom. Genesis chapter 21 verse 14 through 19 tells the story of Hagar. Now, Hagar is an interesting story because Hagar is basically the story that shouldn't have happened. Hagar should not have happened. God promised Abraham that he would make him father of many nations. And Abraham was married to Sarah. And God had promised that she would be the mother. But Abraham was confused. Sarah was doubting. And Sarah told Abraham, listen, we're not having any kids. You should probably just have a kid with the servant, maybe God can use that child. Hagar was the servant. Ishmael was the child. And for a split second, they thought maybe that's going to work. But then God came through on his promise and Sarah had a child. Well, you can imagine this is one of those not mom goals. We'll call it the reverse inverted mom goal. Sarah became jealous, angry, bitter, hateful. And she insisted that Hagar be sent away. So Hagar and her child were banished from the camp. Let's pick up where that says. It says, early in the next morning, Abraham took some food and skin and water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water skins were gone, she put the boy under the bushes, then sat off sat away about a bow shot away for she thought I cannot watch the boy die and as she sat there she began to sob 
God hearing the boy cry, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she walked to a well of water. So she filled the skin and the water and gave the boy a drink. Now, Hagar was a single mom with no help. She was banished. She was sent out. God saw that situation. There was nothing about how she got to that situation that was right. It wasn't like, well, you know what? Because I got there, honestly, everything about her circumstances were wrong. But she called out to God. God heard her. God heard the child. God blessed them. Ishmael is considered to be the father of the Arab nations. She is literally, you can think of her son being one of the most influential people, but she, by reflection, is just as influential. She raised him. And much, like, much of the Islamic community all claim to be his descendants. He was extremely influential. She persevered. She persevered. Motherhood is not for the weak, and every mother in here knows it. From day one, it is challenging. But God hears you. God sees your struggles. Psalms 56, verse 8 and 9 says, List my tears, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. Another translation puts it this way. Instead of saying, record my misery, it says, take note of my lamentations. God is watching. God is watching. He sees every moment, the moments we put out there for the world to see and the moments that we pray the world never sees. He sees all of them, and he cares deeply. He says to you, call out for help. Ask him. The Bible says they have not because they ask not. He does care. Don't listen to the lie that says, well, just because I I didn't start this outright. I mean, maybe because all my circumstances leading up to my circumstances weren't the right circumstances, then God doesn't care and he doesn't want to help. Baloney! You are his child. He loves you. He cares about you. Ruth. Ruth. The story of Ruth is that she was married to a young man who died before she had any kids. And her mother-in-law was named Naomi. And her mother-in-law had come with 
multiple children, but all of her sons died. Now, most of us recognize that when your children die, that is a very sad thing. But in that time, it was more than just sad because you lost your child. Your children were your retirement. Naomi went from having a promising future, not only, and having children, to having nothing. She no longer had any kids. She was, to, to take care of her. And so she says, I'm going to go back to the, land, to, to, to the land of my family, distant family, because she had none below, and, and hope that something can come. And Ruth says to, to go with, decides to go with her. And Naomi says, don't do it. Don't follow me. I don't have a future. And Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave. This is verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth was faithful. She was loyal. When things got tough, she didn't just walk away because it looked difficult. She went with Naomi back. And you guys can remember the story. It's long, too long for me to read the whole thing. But we'll summarize it. She gets there. And Naomi says, well, go to the field of a certain man named Boaz. And the practice of the day was that the harvesters would go in and collect the wheat, but then the poor people could come behind and collect what was left behind. And when she got there, she found favor in Boaz's sight, and he told the, the people, hey, listen, the harvesters, I want you to purposely leave extra for when you see her coming behind you. And then through listening to the wise counsel of Naomi and through prayer, she ends up marrying Boaz. God rewarded her faithfulness. She understood what loyalty looked like, submitted to her mother-in-law's advice. I've got a few other examples, but I'm going to jump to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is famous as, as the chapter that describes the virtuous woman. And as I read through here, I'm just going to throw out some of the hashtags that we would notice if we were looking at this, this woman. And then at the end of this, we're going to honor each of the mothers. And I don't know if you knew this, but the... In the original language, Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10, is an acrostic where the alphabet starts. And then they list a quality for each letter of the alphabet. Or, or like they, they poetically reference something about her. I shouldn't say it's a quality, but they poetically reference something about her that coincides with it. It's an acrostic. So it's kind of cool. It doesn't work out in English, so we'll skip that. But... A wife of noble character who can find. She is far more, her worth is far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Hashtag trustworthy. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Hashtag kind. 
She selects wool and flash and works with eager hands. She is like merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Hashtag industrious. Hashtag diligent. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Hashtag financially savvy. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Hashtag fit mom. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Hashtag business minded. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindles with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Hashtag generous. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Hashtag prepared. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Hashtag fashionable. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Hashtag influential. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies them and supplies the merchants with sashes, hashtag creative, hashtag crafty. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come, hashtag dignified, hashtag brave, hashtag sense of humor. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction on her tongue, hashtag wise. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness, hashtag not lazy. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, hashtag respected, hashtag honored. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, hashtag fears the Lord. Honor her for all her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Hashtag praiseworthy mom. We want to thank you guys. If every mother in the room, would you please stand? Every mother in the room, please stand up. All right. The kids are coming from, from back here. They want to give you guys a flower. I just want to recognize you. Thank you for so much for everything you do everything you have done, everything you gave up, everything you did, we just recognize that you guys are beyond anything our words can say to just be grateful to every one of you. I want to pray a blessing as soon as all the flowers are out. All right? Did every mother get a flower? Have we missed anybody? Okay. Hey, get one to her right here. She's still, she's got the baby. He's in there. Or they are in there. It's twins. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the gift that every mother is, both to her children and to those around her. Lord, we just pray your blessing on them. We ask that you would touch their hearts, that they would know that you see them, that you see their struggles, that you see their goals, Lord. We just pray that you would inspire them to walk in a way worthy of the title mother and worthy 
of your spirit that lives in each and every one of them. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with peace, that you would fill them with wisdom. Lord, we pray for their children. We ask that they would be protected, that you would raise them up to fulfill the purposes for which that they have been born. Lord, we just thank you for each and every mother here, whether that's stepmother, adoptive mother, uh, future mothers as well, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming today. We deeply love and appreciate you guys and hope you can make it on Thursday. It's going to be good. Husbands, make sure they can make it. That can be one of your Mother's Day presents. Yeah.